Hey everybody, Jeremy here. Today we have for you an interview with Micah Wilder from the band Adams Road and the author of the book that comes out today, Passport to Heaven, which is about his journey of faith from the Latter-day Saint religion or Mormonism to Christianity. Many of you know that I'm a pastor out here in Utah, so I deal with Mormon issues all the time, and we're hoping that that has created a more unique interview where we can ask some questions that perhaps other people wouldn't think to ask and get some unique content to you. Hope you enjoyed this interview, and stay tuned. We have some exciting stuff coming for you, like next week we have an episode where we've interviewed Doug Wilson. You don't want to miss that, so stay tuned and enjoy this episode today. Please reach out to us with any uh, comments, questions you have, or any show ideas. We want to hear from you. You can reach us at show at dotheology.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at dotheology. Look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy the show. Our guest today was raised in a devout Mormon family, and like his brothers before him, he served an LDS mission. However, while on his mission, he was challenged to read the Bible, which he did, and gradually his Mormon world came crashing down around him as he encountered the life-changing love of Jesus Christ through his word. He plays the drums and guitar for the band Adams Road and is the author of the book Passport to Heaven, which just released today. Micah Wilder, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Micah, your, your book, you've described it almost like a, a biopic because of the way your, your story is kind of presented within it. Can you just tell us a little bit about your story and, and the book itself? Yeah, so the, the book's kind of unique in that it really just encompasses the two years of my LDS mission. And so rather than kind of going into the back history about myself as an individual, I didn't really want the story to be about me. Uh, I wanted to be about how God's grace and love and truth affected me. And so really for me personally, that journey really began when I arrived in Central Florida as a Latter-day Saint missionary um, and the events and experiences and people that God used to eventually reach into my life and bring me to the saving gospel of Christ. Uh, one of the more common objections that a, a former Latter-day Saint might hear is that they weren't actually ever a Latter-day Saint, right? So could you convince our audience that you were actually, you really were a Latter-day Saint, that was your religion that you were part of, you were uh, a part of that. And can you also describe the difference between someone being an LDS and then transitioning away from that, but then also uh, people who claim to be born again, and as they might go through a period of deconstruction and they no longer embrace their faith, What's the difference between someone who was LDS and no longer is LDS versus someone who claimed to be born again and is no longer claiming that? Okay. So for me personally, it, it is one of the objections I've heard a lot or one of the criticisms I've heard about my testimony is, well, you never believed in it um, or you never really had a testimony or you didn't understand the doctrine, right? So those are kind of common criticisms uh, for people like me. And, and I can say that's that could not be further from the truth. Um, I grew up in a very devout uh, Latter-day Saint home. Uh, my parents were were very active, very faithful in the church. From a young age, I was I was raised to you know have a faith in the core tenets of the church. As I spent my high school years out in the state of Utah, I mean, right in the heart of cultural Mormonism uh, in Alpine. My mother was a professor at BYU, and uh, and and I really very zealously and very devotedly lived out the the aspects of my faith. I had a powerful, unique spiritual experiences. Right, I had the burning of the bosom. I had a testimony of all of the five 
principal pillars of the Mormon church. Um, I, I think that any individual would be hard pressed to find somebody who is more devoted than I was as a teenager, um, as a young man in high school. I think I was kind of the the quintessential example of what a faithful Latter-day Saint was at that time of my life. And I think the people that knew me and had relationships with me at that time of my life could attest to that. And so um, as far as your, your second question there, uh, if I understand it correctly, what's the difference between somebody who is a former LDS and becomes born again and a, and somebody who's born again and loses their faith? Is that correct? Or some of them might claim they're born again and mm -hmm. then they forsake the gospel later on. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, that's an interesting question. I mean, for me, uh, the difference between me is that I came to know the truthfulness as revealed through the Word of God, right? So as a Latter-day Saint, I was putting my my trust and my faith in extra-biblical elements, right? So I was believing in the modern-day prophets and apostles, and I was believing in these extra-biblical scriptures that were my source of truth. And so I wasn't putting my, my faith in the Word of God alone. And so the difference for me now is understanding that Jesus alone revealed through His Word is the only way to salvation, right? There's, there are not extra-biblical things that that I need to do or to practice or to establish through my own righteousness in order to attain eternal life, that that salvation comes in and through the finished work of Christ alone, which is revealed through the word of God alone. And so I think that that's kind of the biggest, you know, difference is, is, is then I could shed all of those cultural and all of those extra biblical, um, you know, aspects of my life, those works, those ordinances, those commandments that I believed contributed to my right standing with God and instead trust and hope in Jesus Christ alone. Yeah, you know, from a evangelical standpoint, when someone goes through a deconstruction, which, you know, is becoming really popular these days, we look at that and say, well, that person never truly knew the Lord, right? Because if you're born again, no one can take you out of out of God's hand. You are secure forever in Christ. And I'm just wondering how how you process that now as someone who used to be LDS, who's an evangelical, and you've got the retort, people saying, well, you, you never were LDS. You never would have left if you truly had a testimony. And I know testimony is really uh, a, a big key part of this from an LDS perspective. Uh, do you ever attempt to explain that to those who are currently practicing Latter-day Saints and how when you're truly born again, it is a once for the rest of your life experience that no man can take away, but you actually don't have that within the Latter-day Saturday Saint religion? Do you ever get into those conversations with them? You know, that that's not something I don't know that I've ever discussed, but I think it is something that I, I've certainly thought about, right? You know, so you have people that want to discredit my testimony because they said you never believed. And then of course, evangelicals will see people who leave the <laughs> faith and they will try to discredit their testimonies by saying, well, you never believe. And, um, I mean, the difference is that one is truth and one isn't, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there is the truth and there is a singular truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so to know Christ and to be born again, right, as Jesus commanded, we must do through um, John chapter 3, right? That unless we are born again, we cannot receive the kingdom of God. We can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so there is a, a, a spiritual transformation that takes place in the heart of the believer when the word of God, mm -hmm. right, uh, it covers us and it, and it changes us and it washes us and it gives it gives us newness of life, right? There's a physical death to our old self, to our, our, our crucified self that is then raised into newness of life and reborn through the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just 
um, a profession, right, or a claim of belief, it's an actual tangible um, transformation, right? It's, yes. it's literally, as Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, hmm. the new has come. And when that happens, uh, and I love what you share, like John, uh, Jesus said in John 10, right, that no one will snatch us out of his hand. And so mm-hmm. we have that assurance in the finished work of Christ that has then made, been made evident in the way that we you know, live our lives. Have you ever had any Latter-day Saints tell you that you're a son of perdition headed to outer darkness? <laughs> I have, yeah, several times. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I, I, it seems like it's getting less and less. Uh, Latter-day Saints, by and large, are getting less and less bold when it comes to yeah. making those statements. But I know that this was, what, 15 years ago or so for you? Correct. And so I was thinking maybe then you got that feedback quite a bit more uh, than you would today. Yeah, actually, you're probably right. I, I have heard it several times, but but as I think about it, it's probably many years ago. I think that hmm. um, it seems like Latter-day Saint doctrine is getting less dogmatic um, as the years go by. And I think it's getting more difficult to kind of pin down people who hold more to the traditional uh, yeah. faith and belief system of Mormonism. And rather, it's kind of it's evolving right and into more of a progressive um, viewpoint on some of these aspects of historical Mormonism. So that is interesting to see how that is changing with the times and how the church is going to respond to that. Did it have an effect on you when you were hearing that at first, when you were really still transitioning and can, and maybe, I don't know if you have this like exact hard break moment when you converted and you were very clear, broken away from the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, but did those type of comments I don't know. Did they hurt you inside to the point where you were thinking, am I really headed to outer darkness now? And was that something you struggled with? Well, I, I don't think I ever worried about my personal eternal destination. I mean, once I had that truly tangible, life-changing, born-again experience, and I knew that my my salvation was secure and, and, and insured through the blood of Christ, I never feared or, or had you know any second guesses. But I, I'm human, right? And and yeah. and the fleshy part of me, yes, I can be offended. Um, I even like doing interviews like this. Like I kind of like I can't even read the comments because you know it's 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 easy for that fleshy nature of myself to come out and I want to feel like I need to defend myself or explain myself. Um, so I think it's less a matter of being offended that or or worried that I may be on the wrong path than me just wanting to explain to people. I think it's more of a hurt for me. Like it bothers me that people um, don't see and know and understand the word of God in Christ like I do. And so I think it's more of like, I want them to like, no, no, you, you're missing the whole picture here. Mm-hmm. You know, let me just kind of shake you like God shook me mm-hmm. and and point you to, to the hope and, and salvation found mm-hmm. in Christ alone. And so. So uh, part of your testimony is how when you were on your mission, you were challenged by a Baptist pastor to actually read the Bible. How did you hear that when you first were, you were first being challenged by that? How was that received by you? And how was that approach to scripture different from what you may have been used to being a part of the LDS church? Yeah. So, so that invitation, like read the Bible, like a child or read the Bible through the eyes of a child. I mean, it's such a, a unique and profound challenge. And uh, when I heard that as a Mormon missionary, I don't think I totally understood it, um, but I took it from him as prove me wrong. (laughs) So that was more my mentality was really, uh, I I was very prideful in that 
I had a testimony of the LDS church, right? And that testimony was unshakable and nothing and no one on planet earth or beyond was ever going to remove me <laughs> right from uh, the foundation that I was built on. And so when I was given this challenge, I, I, I more accepted it because of my pride, because I believe that if I could read the Bible and read the New Testament and, and be able to prove exclusively that the LDS church is everything that it claims to be, right, then I was going to use that in order to go back to Pastor Benson and then to prove that he was wrong and to essentially right disprove the gospel of grace. Um, and so that was my initial kind of, I, I think, motive, right, in my heart when this process began. But as I read the New Testament more, and as I read it over and over again, I think God God slowly changed my heart. And, and I did begin to approach it more through the eyes of a child and more with a childlike faith. And I think that when Pastor Benson gave me that invitation, I think what he was trying to tell me was remove your preconceived notions, right? Remove your religious lenses, put aside all of the things that you've been taught by man and allow God through his word and through his spirit to pour truth into your into your heart and into your life. And, uh, and I think that I didn't necessarily have a conscious decision, right? That my heart was going to change. It just slowly changed over time to where I, I, I think that that pride was removed. It was cast aside by God's grace. And I just began to hunger and thirst for more and more of God's word, the more that I read it. Hmm. It seems to me that all wayward movements out there do the same two things on their way to presenting a different salvation. And those two things are fundamentally changing the nature of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is. And then the second is downplaying the Bible or undermining the Bible in some sort of way. Can you explain to our audience who may not be familiar with the ins and outs of Mormonism, how the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does those two things with the character and nature of Jesus and the character and nature of the Bible? Yeah, I think that's a very profound um, observation. I remember I did an interview several years ago and, and somebody asked me, what is the most damaging thing that the LDS church teaches or has taught? And, uh, and my answer was that they have removed people's faith from the word of God. Hmm. And so I, I think to answer your first question, right, if you can change the nature of God and you can change the nature of Christ, then all of a sudden you have a God and a Christ of your own making, right? That which is formed by man rather than God in his own nature as revealed through his own word. And all of a sudden it gives you control over that God, right? So mm -hmm. this idea that God is not everything that he claims to be in his word, he is not from everlasting to everlasting. There is not one God, but yet there are many gods and that God himself was once a man who progressed through obedience to, you know, ultimately be exalted as a God and that we as humans can, can achieve that same exaltation as well. And, and then to change the character of Christ, that he is a created being, that he was not always right from the beginning, that he in fact was created by God, which puts God superior right to, to Christ. And, and all of a sudden you have a different God. And, and when that happens is you don't look for the attributes, right, that are revealed in the word of God as part of that saving nature that is revealed in Jesus Christ. And you're trusting then in a different Christ and in a different God. And when that happens, you are then being presented a different gospel. Mm -hmm. And so um, the second thing to me is the most significant or equally significant that the church has 
painted the word of God in a way that people do not trust it as the word of God, right? And so when I was growing up, I was taught that the Bible is the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. Eighth article. The eighth article of faith, right? So that little caveat at the end, the problem is, is they never give you a solution to that, right? They never tell you what is translated correctly, what isn't. And I think it's deliberate because it leaves you with an uncertainty that every time you open the Bible and you read its words, you don't know if the things that you're reading are truly the word of God or not. Well, and I, goes, I, always, I always found it interesting in that eighth article where it says, we believe the Bible is the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. And then the next sentence, we also believe that the Book of Mormon is the word of God, period. period. They don't add that same caveat to the Book right. of Mormon. Right, right. And, the, and then it goes on, right, even in the Book of Mormon. So in the introduction of the Book of Mormon, and I remember sharing this with missionary, uh, with, with people often when I was a missionary, it says that a man will get near to God by abiding by its precepts, the Book of Mormon, than by any other book, right? So naturally, if you read that, you're going to say the Book of Mormon is certainly of supreme importance, right? That it is, if, if my desire in life is to gain a relationship with God and to get closer to God and to be known by God and to know God, then naturally, according to this statement, the way to do that is through the Book of Mormon. And so for me, as a kid growing up and as a teenager, I kind of said, well, I want to be close to God. Therefore, I'm going to go through the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And I read the Book of Mormon several times. And then even within the Book of Mormon, right, it says that the, the Bible has been mistranslated. It's been it, that many plain and precious truths have been removed. And so the most dangerous thing that anybody can do to discourage somebody from coming to truth is to remove their faith in the Word of God, right, and to, and to bring them out of the Word of God. And that's why I love what Pastor Benson said to me. I love that he saw me in this place of spiritual darkness, right? Of spiritual blindness and knowing that he wasn't going to convert me, right? That he wasn't going to convince me. And and he had the wisdom and, and the foresight to just point me right to the source, knowing mm-hmm. that, the, that the word of God had power to change the life of a, of a blind man like I once was. And, and I wish that more Christians would do that. Like, I wish we were more zealous about using the word of God mm-hmm. as our greatest tool of ministry in, in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and giving more credit that the word of God can impact the hearts and lives of people um, as it is being shared. Amen. Adam's Road, the band that you're a part of, uh, the theme of that is Jesus is enough. And it seems that maybe uh, the typical LDS response to that might be, well, we believe that, right? Isn't that misrepresenting us? So could you just explain just the heart behind the motto and and how your band ended up choosing that as, as the theme? Sure. So... I have had a lot of Latter-day Saints or other people will approach us and they say, well, we believe Jesus is enough, right? We believe that uh, he died for our sins and that we're only saved by grace. And um, and I like to kind of challenge and push back on that a little bit because Jesus enough means that Christ is all sufficient. It means that Christ is all supreme. It means Jesus alone is the only way to the Father. And therefore, if you truly believe that, then that means that there is nothing and no one that can add to the finished and completed and perfect work of Christ Jesus, right? So that means that in order to have eternal life in the presence of God, and I always like to phrase it that way when I'm talking to Latter-day Saints, the best that God can, the best that God has to offer us, right? Celestial kingdom, eternal life in the presence of God. How do I get there? What is the way in which I can achieve that perfect and right standing with God to, to, say that Jesus is enough means that what Christ did 
as, as our substitute, right? That, that substitutionary death and atonement on the cross and that death, burial and resurrection that through that alone, right? By faith in him, I am justified before God. I am cleansed. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. And I have the assurance and guarantee of my right standing with God, which means that I don't need to go to the temple. I don't need to be water baptized by somebody in the authority of the LDS church. I don't need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost by someone in the authority of the LDS church. I don't have to join the church or pay my tithing, right? And go through that list of all the things that I once believed were necessary and contributed to that right standing with God. So Christ is either enough or he isn't. And if you're adding anything to the finished work of Christ, then you are rejecting the core message of the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and was raised on the third day. And that by grace through faith, we are saved. Yeah, you mentioned the concept of grace there, and because of more popular LDS speakers today like Brad Wilcox and others, there's more and more uh, talks that are becoming popular out there that really emphasize grace from a Latter-day Saint perspective. Could you give us some insight, and I'm I'm sure you go into detail in your book uh, about this, but just give us a little bit of insight as to how you approached that concept of grace when you were a practicing Latter-day Saint and how you see the difference now. Yeah, that's a great question. So when I was a a Latter-day Saint, I I would have taken the definition of grace really right from the Bible dictionary, right? Bruce R. McConkie, and it essentially says (laughs) that grace is the enabling power that allows us to do the things that God has commanded us to do, right? So it wasn't unmerited favor, right? That's what grace is. It's, it's being given something uh, that we don't deserve and that we could never earn. So our, that unmerited favor and that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us, right? That is grace. And so for me as a Latter-day Saint, I was seeing grace as the strength that God gave me in order to be righteous, in order to follow the commandments and perform the ordinances and do the works and stay faithful and endure to the end. And so I didn't see grace as the all-encompassing, unmerited favor that God was pouring on me in Christ. I saw grace as something that helped me do my part in order to achieve right my right standing with God. It seems like those waters are getting so muddy today with the terminology that the church is using because when I first moved out to Utah and was learning more and more about what Latter-day Saints believed, I heard about the bike illustration uh, for Grace, about the little boy who saves up to buy a bike with his allowance, and his dad knows that he'll never have enough money to buy the bike, and so they go to buy the bike, and the shopkeeper tells him, you don't have nearly enough, but then his dad fills in the difference, and that's Grace. (laughs) And uh, today, when I'm talking to missionaries and stuff, it's like, They've never heard that bike illustration. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's Brad Wilcox who has the piano teacher illustration that he uses about a mom uh, teaching her child how to play piano or or paying for piano lessons or whatever it is. Um, Yeah, I think that's that's the illustration he uses. The mother pays for a piano teacher to come in and teach the child lessons over and over again. The mom's making the payments. That's grace. But the child is learning to become a better piano player. And that's the effect of grace or whatever. Uh, How do you... With today's missionaries that you talk to, because I'm sure people listening to this have had them come to their door in recent history, how do you get to the heart of these issues as the waters get so muddied? Yeah, it's challenging. I'm not going to lie. It is is not easy to engage with missionaries today, especially because you 
there's kind of a wide spectrum, right, of what you're going to hear from a, a missionary. Because yeah. I've dealt with uh, missionaries even right now, like through Facebook Messenger, and one of them is on the yes, absolutely, works are necessary. You need to do works. This this whole idea of grace alone is is folly, and here's all the scriptures that support that. And then I have another missionary telling me, no, we believe the same thing you do. We don't believe that we can contribute. We don't believe mm. that there are works that are necessary. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it is making it a little bit of a struggle because there there seems to not be a lot of consistency anymore uh, with some of those core doctrines. But I think for me dealing with grace, it's always going back to Christ and his work, right? It's always, you know, illustrating where do we stand with God outside of what Jesus did for us? And where do we stand with God, even with the best that we can offer, right? And I, and I love, um, you know, the book of Romans in particular, you know, where, where Paul illustrates so beautifully that, you know, the law could not save us, right? So the law was never there to be our salvation. It, it was there to actually show mankind his inability, right? To to adhere to the commandments of God and, and to show the, the the greater and perfect righteousness and holiness of God and to point us to a hope and that hope was Christ, right? So the law and all of its precepts and all of its ordinances were only a type and a shadow of the, the, the salvific reality that was to come, that was to be found in Jesus of Nazareth. And so I, I think that one of the things I like to say is like, when have you done enough? And what, when do you know mm. if that is sufficient, right? Because do you have to go to the temple? Do you have to get married? Do you have to live faithfully? Do you have to perform your, your, you know, your, your church duties? Do you have to have callings and all this stuff? At what point have you done your part? And like you mm. said, a lot of them kind of have that, well, we do everything that we can and Jesus does the rest. That's, that was very prevalent teaching when I was a missionary. And that was, that bike example was one that we used uh, mm-hmm. when I was a Latter-day Saint missionary. Um, and so it's really just, just a allowing people to see like how destitute their, their, their nature is, um, mm. how, how hopeless they are, that no matter what they do, that there are no works of the law that can justify us before God, but, but faith in Christ alone. And to show that it doesn't matter what you do, it will never be sufficient. I mean, that's the whole point of mm. God's dealing with Israel. And then to point to a greater hope that is found in Jesus. So as you were beginning to read more of the Bible and, and kind of getting versed in that and just kind of understanding the Bible more and coming to saving faith in Christ, you've told the stories about how you would write letters home. And that's, that's something that people don't do too much anymore is write letters. <laughs> uh, but uh, you said that your family said in the midst of that, that as you were reading more of the Bible and as you were uh, coming to saving faith in Christ, that your letters home we're beginning to sound more and more like the Apostle Paul in the midst of that, just in the tone and the style. Can you tell us a little bit more about just the family life dynamics as you were going through this process and coming to faith in Christ? And and has the rest of your family come to faith? Because it's not, you, you mentioned how you were very, very much sold out into Mormonism. And I believe your family, the rest of your family was as well. So can you just share a little bit about that and if the, the rest of them have come to faith in Christ? Yeah. So when I was going through this process, right. And God was like slowly transforming my heart as I was reading the word of God. I, I, I didn't know that this was leading me outside of Mormonism. I mean, I never began this process or even during the process saw the end result as being that I was going to leave, right. The religion that I had always known and loved and served with all of my heart. And so it, it was kind of this this subconscious thing that God was doing in my heart and in my life. And, and subconsciously, even I was beginning to communicate these things to my family, right? And, and to, to my friends, to my girlfriend. Um, 
you know, as I would sit down weekly and share with them, right, the things that were most important to me. And all of a sudden my focus was shifting, right? And so my dad talks about how my letters started to sound like the, the epistles of Paul. And it's not because I was deliberately doing anything to sound like that. It's just because my focus was shifting, right? So, you know, for the beginning of my mission, I'm talking about the people that we're teaching and I'm talking about Joseph Smith and I'm talking about the church, right? And all these experiences I'm having as I get deeper into the word of God, all of a sudden I'm talking about the love of God and I'm talking about Christ and I'm talking about faith and I'm talking about grace and I'm mm. sharing scriptures from, you know, the Bible with them. And I think that, um, I think they were confused, like as to why I was putting such an emphasis on these particular elements and, and omitting, you know, the stuff that was really strictly Mormon. Um, and so it kind of created an interesting family dynamic because, uh, I think that they were just confused, but I don't think they, as nor I would have ever guessed that this road was leading me outside of the church. And so when I ended up completing my, my two-year mission and had become born again and had to, you know, publicly witness of my faith, um, you know, I, I knew that it was going to be a challenge for my family. I knew that those relationships were going to be tested. Um, but I do praise God for keeping the hearts of my family members open to the, to the gospel message. Uh, my siblings, uh, Matt and Katie were very open. They were very receptive to reading the new Testament, to reading the Bible, to trying to know and have a greater understanding of why I could say that Jesus is enough. Why I could say that I have the, the guarantee of my righteousness now because of that, which has been imputed to me by Christ and my parents, um, they were in a different situation because, and I'm a parent now. And so I try to understand what they were going through. I mean, my parents were converts to the Mormon church, right? So mm -hmm. they had forsaken their traditional Christian homes, joined Mormonism at the expense of their relationships with their own family, right? So they had mm -hmm. already endured and sacrificed so much because of, you know, their status in the church. And they had raised us in it. They had taught us, you know, all of the precepts and doctrines of Mormonism. And now their son goes on a mission, mm -hmm. comes home and is saying, mom and dad, you guys were wrong the whole time. And um, I, I can't imagine how difficult that would have been for them. I can't imagine how challenging to their pride uh, mm -hmm. that would have been. And so I think that um, there was a little more strain in those relationships for a while, but they were curious. And I think they were curious because they were seeing me going, well, this is our kind of prized Mormon son. He's always been faithful to God. He's always been faithful to the church and he's not going off the deep end. He's not going and living for sin and partying, mm -hmm. right? He, or even drinking coffee. He's simply professing that Jesus Christ alone is all that is necessary for salvation. Mm -hmm. And so they entered their own journey of, of reading the Bible. And of course, you know, God works uniquely and individually in each one of our lives and no one comes to the father. Uh, no one comes to Jesus unless the father who sent him draws us mm -hmm. and, and God began to draw them in the same way that he did us and eventually opened their eyes and my siblings eyes. And so four of my family members, four of the five of my family members to this point have all been born again, received Christ by faith and are faithfully living and walking in discipleship. Yeah, your mother's book, um, Unveiling Grace, your mother, Lynn Wilder, wrote the book Unveiling Grace, which is uh, still one of the go-to pieces of literature when we're interacting with people transitioning um, from the Mormon church, because there are so many complexities to all of that. And that book has just been a help, a blessing to countless people. Um, and so it, it's amazing to see what the Lord has done, not just in your life, but in, in your family's lives. 
So, um, I, I've wondered when you were on your mission in there in Florida, were you the senior companion at that time? Uh, yeah. So, so I, because of my outward zeal for the church, uh, I was naturally in leadership positions my whole life. And, and it, it was the same on my mission. Uh, I actually became a zone leader about three or four months into my mission, which is very young. Uh, I became a trainer and I was the senior companion and, and the leader. So I pretty much had okay. leadership positions for the entire duration of, of my two-year mission. So how did, how did your companion react as you converted? Well, so the way that the mission system works is that you are with a companion for a certain period of time. A lot of people think you're with the same person the whole two years. I think if you were, you'd probably end up killing each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Usually they don't like each other. Uh, that's usually the case. I, I was fortunate. I had great companions, you know, so some of them I was with for six weeks, some for three months, some for, you know, even six months. So it just depended. Um, so I had different companions that I was living with, you know, throughout the duration of this journey, right. Which was about 18 or 20 months. And so each one of them was with me during a different part of that journey. And so it would kind of be interesting to get their perspective on what mm. they observed about, you know, how I was changing or what was different um, about me throughout that process. But I will say, as I got towards the end of my mission, um, my, my focus was really on the Bible is really on Jesus. Mm. And I remember an instance where we went out knocking on doors and, uh, we knocked on this lady's door and she said, well, I'm a Christian. No, thank you. I'm not interested in your message. And I said, well, God bless you. Have a great day. And it was like, my focus was no longer on converting people to Mormonism. It mm. was on sharing Jesus, right? This amazing, wonderful, incredible mm. Christ that was being revealed to me through God's word. That's what I wanted to share. That's what I wanted to focus on. So even in my you know, meetings as a leader, as I would train and share things with my mm. missionary peers, right? I was sharing with them the word of God. I was sharing with them the New Testament. I was sharing with them, you know, the grace of God as it was being revealed to me. And uh, it's just amazing. And I, and I still pray, you know, to this day that, that seeds were planted, you know, all those years ago, uh, there are actually uh, three other missionaries from my mission that I knew, uh, actually four other missionaries from my mission that I knew that have all come to saving mm. faith in Jesus. There's and God. so there's a small group of us, but like God is still working. And, and I pray that, you know, a lot of those seeds that were planted all those years ago, that, that God is still working in the hearts of lives of those people. Now, I'm trying to th listen to this through the ears of uh, Latter-day Saints that I'm friends with and how they would respond to wh what you're saying. So say someone heard what you just said, a practicing current practicing Latter-day Saint, and that person says, well, you should have been sharing Jesus with people all along. That should have been the motivation all along. You know, his on the name tag, his name is the biggest part on the name tag. That should be the focus all along. Can you just take the time to explain the difference having come to know the biblical Christ, how that approach was different. Cause maybe before you were saved, you would have said the same thing. Like, yeah, we're out here to share Jesus with people, but the, the meaning is different on whichever side of the born again experience you're on. Right. Yeah. No, that, that's a great point. Um, yes, I, I was zealously sharing Jesus even before my mission. I, I, w I was a very, what I would call Christ-centered Mormon. So I had a testimony of the five pillars of Mormonism, but Jesus was always central within my personal testimony. The difference, and this is the, the thing that I would challenge people who would say, well, you, you weren't a good missionary or our focus is Jesus. Jesus was not, Jesus is not part 
of the equation mm-hmm. anymore. Jesus is the entirety of the equation, right? Jesus mm-hmm. is everything now. So it's not Jesus plus, it's not Jesus and, it is simply Jesus. And mm-hmm. so that's the difference that Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus plus, right? These works or these ordinances, it's not Jesus plus the modern day prophets and apostles and teachings and church and Book of Mormon. It, it is Christ alone. And so, you know, for me, that was the difference, right? Mm. As I got towards the end of my mission, it wasn't, I was certainly sharing Jesus before, but Jesus was a, a part of a much bigger story that mm. our, our message, you know, contained as Latter-day Saint missionaries. And eventually I just cast the rest of it aside, Joseph Smith, the restoration, right? The, the emphasis on the church, the organization, the authority, and just put all of my emphasis on Jesus and him alone. And not only that, but kind of even removing the other scriptures, the extra biblical scriptures, and just pointing people to the Bible. Hmm. Now, did you ever have a moment after your mission, after your conversion, um, where you found yourself back in an LDS church, you're, you're there at the ward meeting house on a fast and testimony Sunday, or even your return party when you come back from your mission, however that played out, where you got up and proclaimed the gospel to a bunch of Latter-day Saints? Yeah, actually one time. Um, so after my mission completed, I, I've only been to one church service since I got saved, and that was when my mission was terminated three weeks early and I went back to Utah, mm. uh, I met with my stake president that night. He told me that I was an antichrist and just rebuked me, <laughs> called me to repent, called me to repentance. Well, the next day I attended my home ward and um, my bishop at that time was an incredibly just loving and gracious, compassionate man. And I don't know if he knew all the details of what, what was going on, but he just, he just embraced me, uh, which was really awesome. And ironically, it was a fast and testimony meeting. That's no, right. So open mic night. There we go. Before, I'm getting kicked <laughs> off my mission for apostasy. The next day I am at my home ward in a fast and testimony meeting and my Bishop bless his heart encourages me to share my testimony. (laughs) So I actually got up in front of my home ward, uh, now being a a born again, new creation Mm. in Christ. And I shared my testimony and it was very similar to this testimony I had shared just days earlier as a departing missionary. Um, Mm. And basically what I shared to my home ward was Jesus is enough and he is everything. And he is the only thing that I need. And I Mm. finally have everything that I was ever looking for that, that my religious works could never satisfy. Mm. And that is, that is Christ. And so uh, I shared that testimony of Jesus alone and, um, you know, again, pray that seeds were planted that day. How did people react that day in the midst of that? Did they just kind of shrug it off or... (laughs) Were they shocked? <laughs> were, there, were there pitchforks and torches? <laughs> you know, it's interesting because in a weird way, like Mormons acknowledge and they see when like Jesus is the focus and, and they actually like that. And I think people are actually hungry for that. Mm. Right. And I think that's something they actually loved about me. And I had made a commitment, I think a year before I went on my mission that I was going to bear my testimony every fast Sunday leading up to my mission. And so that was just, everybody knew fast testimony. Uh, I was going to get up there and I was going to share my, my faith. And it was always Jesus centered and people seem to gravitate towards that. It's not like people were repulsed by it. And I see that as not that the church is the true church or that it emphasizes Jesus, but that it doesn't. And that people are hungry and thirsty, you know, for that relationship with Christ, Mm. for that message of grace and and for that proclamation of of truth. Amen. Love that story. 
So you now, uh, you're living there in uh, Orlando, Florida, which is actually where you serve your mission. Uh, what was the process for moving to Florida? How did you decide to live there? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I get, when you get saved as a Mormon missionary, like you don't know what to do. And I didn't know what to do. And that was kind of the whole thing was like, all right, God, I, I finally said, you, you are in control of my life. And, and it's like, God wrestled with me for two years and eventually just threw me off a cliff and said, you have to trust me because you have no other choice. And so that's kind of the situation that I was in. I didn't know what my future looked like. I didn't know, um, you know, really what my life was going to entail, but I knew that I had Jesus, therefore I had everything that I would ever need. Mm. And so when my mission ended early and I went back to Utah, I knew immediately, this is not where God wants me. This is not my home and I can't be here anymore, right? Even from a practical standpoint, I, I couldn't continue at BYU. That That's where I had attended before my mission. Um, and just kind of the culture, the community, right? I mean, people, it was tough. It was tough to see the way that people responded to me. And I knew that I was not going to be able to live that life out in Utah. And so I had only been home for about 36 hours. And I went to my parents and I said, mom and dad, I, I want to go back to, to Florida. I feel like that's my home. That's where God is calling me. And again, credit to my parents uh, for, for the grace they bestowed on me. Um, they bought me a plane ticket and sent me back to Florida. Uh, yeah. This is after I'd been gone for two years. Not only that, oh, but no. I had dropped this bombshell on them. I had rocked the foundation of our family, of our community, of my mom and her professorship at BYU and all these things that she had to deal with the aftermath of. And I got on a plane and left. So. <laughs> so she may have thought, you know, uh, cost benefit ratio, it's probably going to benefit her more just to get you and uh, to the other side of the country. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. And so I ended up moving to Florida and uh, my high school girlfriend and I actually actually eloped. We, we married at Disney World. She had become born again uh, wow. by the grace of God and, and to the praise of God. And so we, we started our new lives. I was 21, was my 21st birthday. Uh, we eloped and she was 20 and we said, we have Jesus, let's go. And mm. so we started this this whole new journey 15 years ago. And of course, uh, so much growth has taken place since um, I have, I've grown uh, in the knowledge and grace of God and uh, and of Christ and, and gone from infancy as a Christian to at least some semblance of maturity. And of course, it's a constant process of sanctification, you know, that we are uh, enduring mm. as Christians. And so... Yeah, that sparked kind of the the beginning of Adam's Road, and God began to to one by one save other people uh, that were part of my my inner circle. Uh, the the first one was my brother Matt, my older brother. The second person was my younger sister, and then uh, a young man named Joseph Warren, who was a Mormon missionary with me. We were best friends, uh, had a great relationship, trusted each other. He came to saving faith along with two other. Uh, young Mormon men who had just left uh, the church. And uh, and we founded Adam's Road and began this mission to proclaim the gospel through song and through testimony. Hmm. So as you moved back there, were you uh, able to get back in touch with the pastor who first challenged you uh, to read the Bible? Do you have an existing relationship with him today? Yeah, so, so Pastor Alan Benson, uh, by the time I had moved back to Florida, he was no longer there. And so I ended up finding him online. He, I think he was in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, 
I called him on the phone. It's a phone con- con- conversation that I will never forget. And uh, I said, Pastor Benson, this is Elder Wilder. I met you a couple of years ago. Do you remember me? And he's like, oh, I remember you. <laughs> and uh, and I shared my testimony with him and, and he was in tears. And one of the things that he said to me that I've never forgotten and that that is such an encouragement to me in ministry, and I hope it's an encouragement to many people, he said, when I shared the gospel with you that day, I walked away feeling like I had failed. And I feel like nothing that I said had made any impact on your life. Mm. And I've thought about that often because so often as Christians in ministry, we kind of had this have this tendency to judge or gauge success based on an initial response, right? So if I have a conversation with somebody, say at Temple Square, or I'm, you know, conversing with an LDS missionary, and if it's not a positive, good experience where they're receiving everything wholeheartedly, we kind of have a tendency to say, well, that didn't go well. And Mm. yet it's never been our concern as to how people respond to the message of the gospel. Our call is to go out and proclaim the gospel to all of creation, right? So it doesn't really matter what people say, how they respond or what they do. Our calling is to plant seeds and to water seeds, but God and God alone is the one who's going to do the growth. And so Mm -hmm. I've been so encouraged by that. And so Pastor Benson has just been a loving uh, and, and faithful friend of mine. Uh, he calls me his Timothy, uh, kind mm. of a child in the faith, which is such a great honor. And, and he's been a source of wisdom and truth uh, and the word of God for many years. And so we continue uh, in that relationship today. Uh, he actually wrote the afterword of the book, which is, which is really awesome and gives kind of a, a glimpse of his perspective of what that experience was like of engaging with, with me as a Mormon missionary. Amen. Well, maybe as we look to close, this is a good note to close on when we think of evangelistic interaction. Could you walk us through your typical evangelistic conversation with a Latter-day Saint today? Like, do you do you let them know who you are <laughs> and in uh, your story? Because um, that that video of your testimony went viral. I think quite a few years after it was initially recorded. Um, it seems like it just a couple of years ago, it like caught fire for some reason. Um, so undoubtedly there are lots of people out there who have seen it. Do you let people know who you are in your background when you're talking to them? Do you have any go-to tactics that help them understand the biggest differences between their religion and the gospel? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So obviously, you know, it's going to vary from situation to situation. Um, I, I do try to be honest. I don't say, Hey, I'm Michael Wilder and this is my, you know, uh, this is who I am, but I do try to let them know, hey, I, I was a member of the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I served a mission. Um, you know, generally they'll see my cross hanging around my neck and they'll kind of know mm. that I'm not a member anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I try to be well, Mormons don't wear crosses for those who don't know. Right, right. And I've seen a lot of people that are try- that kind of try to be deceptive and, and I don't want them to feel like they were played. So I usually try to come out with that right at the beginning. Hey, I served a mission, right, is, is a great way to connect with a Latter-day Saint missionary. And then when they figure out I'm not Mormon anymore, they're actually very uh, curious, right? And so I get a lot of questions. Well, why did you leave the church? I think for, for me, the best approach is always um, asking questions. Um, we tend to presuppose what a Mormon believes, but yet each Mormon is going to be in a different place, right, on the spectrum of, of what their faith is. So some of them may be uh, much more grace-centered or biblical-centered, mm-hmm. or some of them are more historical. Some of them you know, are going to believe different things. So I think drawing out, you know, what their faith is, what they believe and why they believe it uh, is always an important part of engaging and then asking questions. 
Um, I, I really, as far as doctrinally, I like to focus on, on sin and salvation because ultimately mm. that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. It's, are you a sinner? And what is the way that you can be reconciled to God, right? And so how, how do you know you've done enough? Do you know right now that you're forgiven? If you died in this moment, would you have the celestial kingdom? Would you have the best that God has to offer? If not, why? What can you do to get there? And so as you start to kind of draw out what they believe and why and what what is your relationship with God? Like, do you have fear? Do you have uncertainty, right? Or do you have assurance? And some of them will uh, be very, I don't want to say arrogant, but they'll be very confident, you know, mm-hmm. that, yes, I'm good. I'm doing what's right. And those are the hard people, I think, uh, mm-hmm. to deal with the, the, the Pharisees who are like, yeah, I'm doing everything. But my, my personal experience is that there's a lot of broken people. There's a lot mm-hmm. of broken people who who don't know if they have the guarantee of their salvation. They don't know if they have the guarantee of the forgiveness of their sins. And they're trying hard to endeavor to earn that forgiveness, to earn that love, to earn that favor. And so ultimately the message of the gospel is the hope for mankind, right? It's not just for Mormons. It's, it's for everybody. The solution to, to, to everybody everywhere is the good news. It is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. And so I always try to focus an emphasis on the gospel, on the grace of God, on the sufficiency of Christ, and on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And, uh, and then to end with the same challenge that Pastor Benson gave me, Go investigate it for yourself. Go to the source for yourself. Go to the Bible. Read it through the eyes of a child and and allow God through his word to to open your eyes. Amen. Well, Micah, it certainly has been a joy to have you on here today. I know I personally am encouraged, and I trust our listeners are as well. I do want to remind our listeners that Passport to Heaven is available for purchase today. So go out and get yourself a copy of that. I know you'll be encouraged through reading it. But Micah, we do thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Ken. I really appreciate it.